Good afternoon. It's six minutes past noontime, and welcome to Midday Magazine for this Wednesday, the 12th day of October. I'm Julie Hersey with these stories. For the first time ever, the Bering Sea snow crab fishery will not open for the upcoming season. Alaska's Department of Fish and Game announced the closure on Monday afternoon. The Bristol Bay Red King Crab Fishery will also be closed this year for a second year in a row as KMXT's Kirsten Dobroth reports from Kodiak. Gabriel Prout co-owns the FB Silver Spray with his dad and brothers. The Silver Spray is a 116-foot steel crabber that's homeported in Kodiak. He says he wasn't surprised that Fish and Game closed the king crab fishery. In a normal year, he'd go out for king crab too. But numbers have been on the decline, and that fishery didn't open last year either. The real shocking part is the total complete collapse of the snow crab fishery which no one expected last year when it happened and now uh, a complete closure this year was equally as shocking. Miranda Westfall is an area management biologist with Alaska's Department of Fish and Game. She says the sudden decline in snow crab came as a shock to biologists too. Back in 2018 there was record recruitment in the Bering Sea snow crab stock. Those numbers started to go down in 2019 and there was no survey in 2020 due to the pandemic. Then in 2021, when they surveyed, we saw the largest decline we've ever seen in the snow crab population, um, which was very startling, I think, for everyone. It wasn't something we expected. We, you know, were expecting to have this record recruitment come through the population. The quota was down about 90 percent from 2020, and this year's numbers were even worse, according to Westfall, prompting the fisheries closure. Westfall says they're not totally sure what caused the snow crab collapse, but they suspect warmer ocean conditions caused by climate change may be partly to blame. Sixty or so boats normally go out for Bering Sea snow crab, according to Westfall. Prout, the Kodiak fisherman, says a deckhand might make fifty to $80,000 in a good year, and the ex-vessel value for one boat is more than a million dollars. There is a small tanner crab fishery slated to open later this month in the Bering Sea. Prout says that's a Band-Aid, though. It really has been in the past a kind of a bonus when you have to fish that alongside the snow crab. But seeing as there's no snow crab this year with the closure, um, we're contemplating whether or not we should even make the trip out west with the high fuel prices. He estimates that right now it costs about $100,000 in fuel round trip to make it to the Bering Sea fishing grounds. The price of steel needed to maintain the silver sprays more than 200 crab pots has also jumped. He and his family are still waiting on fishery disaster payments to come through from the federal government for past poor seasons and closures. Prout says his family tenders in Prince William Sound during the summers. They're already eyeing that season to make up some of the financial loss from the crab closure. But others won't have many options. People are really going to have to make some hard calls here on whether that's selling out completely of their quota shares, selling their vessels, uh, looking for other opportunities in other fishing sectors, which are few and far between. Fishermen are really going to be hurting the next year. Meanwhile, Westfall says there could be more declines in the number of snow crabs over the next few years before the population starts to rebound. In Kodiak, I'm Kirsten Dobrath. Moose hunting season for the central southeast area is almost over for this year, and so far hunters have killed 95 moose. Nine of those have been illegal kills. Typically, illegal kills make up about 10% of the hunt, and that is true this year as well. The most productive area by a large margin has been Kupernoff Island. There, hunters have killed 38 legal bulls and five illegal. 
Next, hunters have killed 18 moose both on Kuyu Island and by the Stikine River. Hunters have killed six moose in Thomas Bay and three in Farragut Bay and two on Mitkoff Island. All other areas have had one kill, including Edelin Island, Wawonski Island, Wrangell Island, Zarembo Island, and other mainland areas. The moose harvest count was last updated yesterday. The moose hunting season opened on September 15th and ends this Saturday, October 15th. Last year, the total moose harvest was 132 animals. Nine of those were illegal. Again, so far, the total moose harvest count has been 95 with nine illegal kills. A minor earthquake rattled parts of the southern panhandle on Sunday night. As Eric Stone reports, the magnitude 4.2 quake in the Misty Fjords was not recorded by Alaska state seismologists until the following day. Ketchikan Mayor Dave Kiefer was about ready to call it a night when he felt something familiar. I was laying in bed reading and I felt the entire house just sort of shimmy a little bit. And I went, oh, I know what that is. I've, I, I've felt that before. So he did what anyone in the 49th state does after a little shake. Checked the Alaska Earthquake Center's website. Zippo. Nada. Nothing. A little while later, there were a few earthquakes listed in other parts of the state, but still nothing near Ketchikan. So Kiefer decided to check in with some seismologists to the south. What happened last night was a moderate-sized earthquake, magnitude 4.2. That's Hong Kao, a research scientist at the Geological Survey of Canada. His agency pinpointed the epicenter about 50 miles southeast of Ketchikan, 10 kilometers below the Misty Fjords, just barely on the U.S. side of the border. Its location is right uh, around the uh, the border between um, Alaska Panhandle and the B.C. And uh, the lo- exact location is about uh, 68 kilometers north-northwest of uh, Prince Rupert. A magnitude 4.2 isn't a huge earthquake by any stretch, but Kiefer says he was still a little peeved when he woke up the next morning and state seismologists hadn't noted the earthquake. Seriously, what are we, chopped liver? Between 9.57 p.m. Sunday when the earthquake struck and 6 a.m. the next morning, the state's automated seismic stations recorded 11 earthquakes all over the state, but there was still nothing listed near Ketchikan on the websites of the U.S. Geological Survey or the Alaska Earthquake Center. And usually the state does a real good job. I, don't, I never have any complaints for them. But it's kind of puzzling. It's like maybe they thought we were part of Canada. I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure what 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 happened there. But it, it, you would think it would show up on the on the Alaska website at some point. It wasn't until Monday afternoon that Alaska authorities acknowledged the earthquake. Alaska Earthquake Center senior scientist Natalia Rupert chalks up the mist to inadequate seismic sensor coverage. Unfortunately, our network in that region is not as comprehensive. So um, at the moment, last night, we actually missed detecting that earthquake. But uh, this morning, we actually went back and looked at our data and reanalyzed that data, and we were able to report on that earthquake as well. And while she says the Alaska Earthquake Center does its best to include as much data from Canadian earthquake sensors as possible, she says Alaska earthquake monitors weren't receiving data from nearby Canadian stations on Sunday night. We tried to exchange data about the network's change, and sometimes they update things, and those updates don't propagate all the way into our system. Hong Kao from the Canadian Earthquake Agency says stations in Prince Rupert and Haida Gwaii picked up the shaking, but he says it's unlikely that a larger earthquake would go unnoticed. If we have a, a relatively big event, then um, all the stations 
you know, far and near can detect the signal and therefore can be located by any agencies. But for events that's smaller than magnitude 5, usually only local stations uh, can detect the, the, the event better. Kiefer, the Ketchikan mayor, says he's not especially concerned that domestic agencies miss the quake. He says it's just nice to show up and be counted. Reporting in Ketchikan, I'm Eric Stone. Petersburg residents gathered last weekend to welcome newcomers to town at Sandy Beach Park on Sunday. Chelsea Tremblay organized the event around KFSK's membership drive. Even through heavy rainfall, the event drew a crowd. Participants played Welcome Wagon Bingo featuring prompts born in Petersburg or lived in a landlocked state with prizes such as a year-long subscription to the Petersburg Pilot. One of the questions was if they had met the local pet duck named Starflower. There was a big fire going with Sarah Hansen Hofstetter and Matthew Winterstein playing the guitars, drumming up a beat and singing as the crowd shared potluck food. KFSK's Avery Herman Sakamoto attended the event and created this audio postcard. I'm Chelsea Tremblay and I organized the meet and greet out at Sandy Beach. I thought it was a fun time to pull some people together. Anyone who's looking to make new connections before heading into winter. We timed it with the KFSK fundraising week so people could hear the radio, hear about things and people, and then maybe put some faces to names here. And um, so far it's been a fun little turnout and had some hearty souls, brave some weather, and I feel like that's kind of what living in Alaska is all about. My name is Jess Lobel. I moved here this summer. Uh, my partner's in the Coast Guard, so I've been here for about two months. I am thrilled to be here and meeting new people. I love building community, and I think not having a full-time job, sometimes that makes it a little bit hard to uh, tap in and connect. But I have found people in Petersburg to be so friendly and welcoming, and I'm really excited to just keep expanding that community and knowing more people's names. And also there's some delicious snacks. <laughs> My name is Sam Hodgins. I arrived in Petersburg June 17th of this summer. So just three months about? Yeah, so still getting the hang of it. Three months? Four months? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> Almost four months, yeah. Um, yeah, we came here, my partner's in the Coast Guard, so I tagged along for the adventure. There's only so many chances to live in Southeast Alaska, so um, I departed Boston and drove here. The community has been incredible, and so uh, I was a little afraid of being isolated up here, and then I have met probably more community here than I did in Boston, which is a populated city. Um, I think people are, are looking more for community here, but... Um, it's been incredible. I think our like the best introduction was we got here during uh, garage sale season. So we were able to stock up on all the Alaska essentials. So we got like Brundins and waders and old school fishing reels and everything that we needed to kind of delve into an Alaskan summer. Um, and so and it made us feel way more local. Me too. Um, where are you on this bingo card? Well, I'll tell you what. Right. I have met Starflower. You have? Yeah. I have seen I have seen I have seen Starflower 
at the bar, and I was so that's hilarious. I was so enamored by the Starflower story. Chelsea shared the podcast on KSF or the library podcast with the Starflower interview. I was talking to my friends in Boston about it, so now they've disseminated the podcast among like my Boston group of friends. So Starflower is like gaining fame on the East Coast. Thank you, the public library. That audio postcard was created by Avery Herman Sakamoto. Travelers can now book mid-November flights on Aleutian Airways between Anchorage and on Alaska. Non-stop flights on the new regional airline Saab 2000 aircraft are set to begin November 16th with two flights per day, Monday through Friday. The company also plans to increase flights to the island beginning December 26th. Fares for a one-way, non-refundable ticket will start at nearly $660, while a refundable ticket will cost almost $940. Those fares are equivalent to the ones offered by Raven Alaska, the other airline currently servicing the island. Prospective passengers can make reservations online through Aleutian Airways' website or by local travel agents.